Hey listeners, Renee here. Just a reminder that any of the information that you gather from this podcast is general advice. This means that although our advice is rooted in evidence-based theory and our experiences working within the industry, it is still just general advice. With that being said, if you are concerned about your dog's behavior, listening to the podcast is a great place to start. However, we would urge you to work with a qualified dog professional. Hi there, and thanks for joining us. You're listening to Dog Logical, a podcast by R Plus Dogs. I'm Renee Rhodes, a dog behavior consultant, the owner of R Plus Dogs, and a self-professed dog nerd. Along with my friend and colleague, Cassie Dixon, we host this podcast aimed at dog guardians to give you tips, tricks, and bust pesky myths about your dog and their behavior. So if you want to learn how to be more dog logical, you're in the right place. Now let's dive into this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dog Logical Podcast. I'm your co-host, Cassie Dixon, here with your wonderful host, Renee. Hi, everyone. So Renee and I have actually just recorded another podcast maybe 10 minutes ago, and it got us chatting a little bit about things going on in the world of dog today. So we decided to hop on and record a second one, Um, and it kind of got brought up. uh, I have recently left my previous position at Toronto Humane Society and have moved into a position with the uh, Ontario SPCA. So one of the things that I've kind of been seeing recently and having to look at and, you know, those sorts of things uh, is actually position statements um, from different organizations, whether from um, veterinary medical associations or um, specific societies for protection against cruelty to animals and things like that. So SPCAs, humane societies, all of those fun things. I've been looking at a lot of breed specific legislation and kind of what that looks like. And basically, why is it there? What's happening? All of those things. Um, And it kind of is pretty relevant to what we're going to chat about in a few moments here. So I kind of wanted to get a really quick I guess, question in there for you, Renee, how do you feel currently on breed specific legislation that's kind of gone across? I know, I mean, it's worldwide at this point, but what are your thoughts and feelings? It's hard, right? Because obviously there's been a buzz about breeds and, um, you know, looking at the dog as an individual, but then also the genetics and the epigenetics and things like that. And so I, to me, Every dog has the ability to be quote unquote dangerous. They have the, you know, um, the hardware to do damage. However, there are maybe some dogs who have a little bit more ability to, just because of their size, um, they have a little bit more ability to do more damage than others. However, Previously working in veterinary medicine, I can tell you that the dogs who I encountered, and we're talking about a number of years here, so lots and lots and lots of dogs, I have encountered uh, aggressive golden retrievers, aggressive Labradors. Oh my goodness, yes. (laughs) 
aggressive French bulldogs, mm-hmm. um, aggressive, pretty much you name it. And I have encountered a breed that has been aggressive. But those breeds are usually the ones that people see as being great family dogs. And they can be great family dogs. However, the dogs that we really got little to no trouble, quote unquote, from were dogs like pitbulls, pitbull mixes, uh, mastiffs, uh, dogs like German shepherds. Um, yes, there were dogs who were fearful. And looking back now, because very much at the time I didn't have that behavior mind, um, I can see that all of that was fear. And so these dogs were being put into situations that they had to defend themselves. So it's a very tricky question for me as far as, you know, what do we do? I don't feel like breed legislation is fair at all. I feel like it's archaic. I feel like the information needs to be updated. I feel like it should be... be put more onto the human versus the animal. Um, Because let's face it, there are unfortunately a lot of people out there that shouldn't have dogs. And not speaking from just like a guardian side, but people who do some pretty horrific things with dogs um, at financial gain, or maybe not even financial gain, maybe just for sport or entertainment. Um, and I don't think it's fair that the dogs are, are paying the price for that. I've also met some really great, like Dogo Argentinos. I've met oh tons goodness, yes. of yeah. really great Dogos, like just awesome. And maybe it's because people feel a little bit more pressure to, you know, act a certain way with those dogs, you know, maybe get them into puppy classes and socializing and, you know, things like that because of those stigmas attached to them. I don't know, but it's not a breed thing for me. It's, it's definitely multifaceted and so much more complicated than just a blanket ban or, you know, and it also sets dogs up to fail instantly because you will have preconceived notions about them. And that influences, you know, decisions that we make. Um, but yeah, all dogs have the ability to unfortunately do damage to humans. And it takes more of an educational standpoint of understanding who our dogs are and how to meet their needs and to really respect them versus just having a a law that says, well, that dog's bad and that dog's good. Yep. And welcome to my TED talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was honestly going to say like, Renee, you continue to solidify for me every single time we talk why we are friends. <laughs> Just, <laughs> thank you. Hallelujah. This could be the end of the podcast, but it's not. Um, so just as a really quick, like I completely agree with you 100%. The variety of factors that affect a dog's like reason for becoming aggressive or the motivation behind aggression or whatever is so wholly different between individual animals versus breed versus genetics versus whatever, that it's just, it's impossible to put a blanket statement on things. And I think that that kind of brings me to that. So like the CDC strongly recommends against breed specific legislation and laws. So basically the center for disease control 
flat out has said in a bunch of their research that it's impossible to collect appropriate data related to dog bites by breed. Um, It just doesn't make sense. And when you do collect data, it again tends more towards the first couple breeds that you said there, Renee, was golden retrievers and Labradors and whatever, because let's face it, there are more of them. Mm-hmm. for one. And they're often more seen as a quote unquote family dog, the easy dog, the whatever. But the difference there is also that those breeds come from a working group of dogs. <laughs> like, yes, we've domesticated them. Yes, they are slowly leaning more to like more of that family dog side and those types of things. But they are still a dog that was initially bred to work, right? Yeah. So, we still have to recognize that yes, those genetics matter and all of those things, but honestly, like every governing body and every legislative body and every body within vet med and within, you know, disease control and the ability to recognize these trends and that type of thing, like they all say breed legislation is silly. Let's get rid of it. The Veterinary Medical Association says breed legislation is silly. Let's get rid of it. CDC recommend strongly against breed-specific laws and legislation. Um, All of the SPCAs in existence recommend against it. So realistically, everyone who knows what they're talking about and their salt (laughs) there, um, they basically say it's silly. And it makes me really happy to kind of have that stand behind there. But as you know, Renee, like I'm I'm in Ontario. I'm about an hour and a half from Toronto, give or take terrible 401 traffic. Um, But... Like breed specific legislation exists in all of Ontario. Currently pit bulls are banned here. And it kind of leads me into this, like what our conversation was before is not just like that, that specific legislation to breed, but what makes a dog a good candidate for a specific home environment or, you know, whatever the case may be. So Renee, you showed me a little bit earlier a news article that you had been asked to kind of comment on about a viral TikTok video where a person has said that they don't recommend specific breeds for quote unquote new pet parents or new dog owners. Um, The fact that they kind of go straight off and say, if you want to own a dog, your first time dog owner, blah, blah, blah. That immediately sends up a red flag for me. Not gonna lie, because I try really hard to stay away from the quote unquote owner language and lean more towards the guardian or pet parent or, you know, that type of language. Because to me, again, I'll say it a million times, sentient beings, people, they're not property. So um, although there are laws that recognize them as such, it doesn't necessarily make it true. So why don't we kind of like jump into that? Like what, what makes or breaks, and I know you've already kind of, you, you, clearly you've already commented on this and you, you have your reasoning and I agree with all of it, but what makes or breaks a good animal for a first time pet parent and why is it or isn't it appropriate to use breed to determine that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, first of all, I would say, you know, we don't know an individual's circumstances. And to make, again, another blanket statement to just say, 
you know, these specific dogs you shouldn't have if you have no experience with dogs is a little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, judgmental? Like, I wouldn't <laughs> say to someone, Good word. oh yeah, you definitely <laughs> shouldn't have this dog breed because unless I know them personally and, you know, I have said that to people where they're like, oh, I want, you know, this type of breed. And I'm like, that wouldn't work with you, you know? Yeah. So th from that perspective and not clients, I'm, I wouldn't say that, to, that won't work with you. Um, <laughs> I would say that to, to, you know, like a family friend or something. Um, that's not going to work. You know, that's not the type of dog you need, but th that's me knowing their personal circumstances and their personality and their home life and all those, you know, routines and things like that. For the average person, making a blanket statement to say, you know, specifically, these are not the dogs that a first-time guardian should have is just how? How do you even know that? You don't know anything about this person. You don't know anything about their environment. You don't know how long they have waited to have a dog, how much research they've put in, you know? I mean, I've met people and I'm sure, you know, for you, you've, you've had encountered this as well, where they've waited years and they're like, right, I'm finally in this place where I can have a dog. Uh, my schedule is good. You know, I make enough money. I have, you know, care set out for them. I have the whole plan together and I want a Malinois. And I, well, that hasn't happened, but um, <laughs> nobody's that great. No, just kidding. Um, but that could happen, right? So somebody could say, this is the dog that I have wanted for a really long time. I have everything in place. Is somebody, you know, they see that, that real and they're going to go, wait a minute, I shouldn't have that dog. A, it's probably, if you're anything like me, I would be like, I'm having that dog. Like right. I would just be like, I'm having that. I don't care what you say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having it. It's going to be amazing. Watch um, me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it also makes us look like profession as professionals. Like that's our statement of things is, you know, oh, well, you know, dog trainers say that I shouldn't have this dog. That's, yeah. you know, that, I don't agree with that person's statement. Let's, let's say this person was a dog trainer. I will go as far as to say that I couldn't find any qualifications for them. So, um, you know, that, that is what, what it is, unfortunately. And so I feel like their kind of blanket statement is purely their own individual opinion. And therefore that can be, you know, I mean, that is social media in a nutshell, but that can be very dangerous is to make a blanket statement like that. And for that to be shared on social media. Yeah. And for people to have that feeling in their head because it might put people off and they might be the great, they might have the perfect setup for that Mally, you know? So either you're me or us where we're like, well, I'm going to get it anyway. And then, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't care because these trainers don't know what they're talking about and it puts us in a bad light or we feel ashamed, like, you know, well, I should be able to do this by myself. Why can't I? Um, but let's just say if you do have a really good setup, then you already have consulted a dog trainer or behavior consultant and you have one on board. That's that's part of that perfect plan, hint, hint. Um, but, you know, I just feel like that that kind of blanket statement doesn't, it, it, it doesn't feel right um, and it doesn't sit well with me. And because we don't know that person's individual situation, 
if someone came to me and they did say, I've been waiting all my life to have this dog and, you know, this is what I have set up. Or I say to them, you know, great, how much do you know about this breed? And that's what I used to do when I worked in veterinary. And veterinary, as a technician, I loved puppy consults. So first time puppy consults were my favorite. And I would go in and I'd have my, you know, how much have you researched this breed? You know, what, what do you know about them? Um, my favorite were English bulldogs when they would come in and say, you know, we want to breed her. And I'm like, let me go get the manual on breeding breeding an English bulldog. And they quickly change their mind. Um, so these are things that, you know, if you want to be able to do that, we should be able to support you and look at what is your plan? How can we make that the best plan possible for you to be as successful as possible and also be there to help you when things are going to go a little sideways? And even if you got, let's just say, you know, everybody loves a Labrador, even if that was the Labrador and you had all that set up and everything, things are still going to go left sometimes because that's just part of raising a puppy. So to say, you know, you can't have this specific breed or you shouldn't have this specific breed. That's not for me to say, you know, I can help you and I will help you in any way that I can, but I'm not going to make a blanket statement to say like, these are the specific breeds. However, that in mind for this article, instead of saying specific breeds, I gave them categories of breeds so that it was more of a wider kind of idea of these are breeds that you should think a little bit more about if you are going to have specific breeds, but not to say you can't have them, but just this is what, and I gave explanations for it as well. So I think even with that person's one, which we just talked about before, was with the Rottweilers. And it said something, again, a very like uneducated statement to say that Rottweilers come with aggression issues. Yeah. And aggression is a symptom. Aggression is not a, it's not a illness. It's not a, um, it's not the root cause. So the aggression comes from somewhere. Are these dogs insecure? Are they in pain? You know, what is, what is causing the aggression? They don't come, you know, it's not like a program like, oh, did, did your Rottweiler have uh, aggression installed in it? Like, you know, there's a reason why this is happening. So I think, again, it's statements like that, which can be, and it's no bashing this person. Obviously that's their own individual opinions, but I think it's statements like that, that can be really harsh on the Rottweiler or people who love Rottweilers or even people who are thinking about, oh, should I get a Rottweiler? Because, oh, I don't want to have to deal with aggression. And that may not ever be the situation that you have with that Rottweiler. So, I mean, how do you feel? Because do you feel that it's more of kind of classifications of certain dogs? Or what are your kind of thoughts on that? Uh, I have so many thoughts. Um, For one... Yes, you never know an individual person or family's situation or how much effort they're going to put in either. So even like I, I'm like my brain is going a mile a minute. I have thoughts and feelings that pet guardianship is for everyone. 
I personally believe, and I've made it like one of my personal missions to help those that don't necessarily have everything they need in order to have a pet. Because like, let's be honest, when you want an animal, it's not necessarily because you are, you know, really well off and you're going to do all the dog sports and you're going to do all (laughs) the, you know, shows and you're going to be with your dog 24 seven and blah, blah, blah. Like most people who want like pets in their family, it's just because they want another additional way to have enrichment in their own lives and the lives of their families. So for me, like, yes, I totally agree. There are definitely people out there who shouldn't have pets. And sometimes those people evolve into people who can have pets. Like, for example, I, I remember someone I know very closely when they got their first dog, it was um, a lab and that dog spent a lot of its life in a crate, a lot of its life in a crate. Um, and it was very much like, I very much felt like this person should just not have a pet. If you're not willing to do training and you're not willing to like do enrichment and you're not willing to, you know, whatever, whatever, like, why do you have a pet? It's just a frustration for you. And that pet gets less of life and yada, yada. But now that person is an amazing pet owner. And although they learned through mistakes and, you know, we really hope that that doesn't need to happen, that, you know, you find a certified and accredited and credentialed professional to work with. So it doesn't happen. Sometimes it does. And sometimes those people evolve into people who are good pet owners and pet parents and that sort of thing. So I very much feel that pets are for everybody. I really do. Maybe not always a dog, (laughs) maybe sometimes a different pet that's a little easier or vice versa. But honestly, when it comes down to breed specifics when you were a first-time pet parent, I really don't think there is a one-size-fits-all period. I definitely think that doing your own research is a huge, 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 huge part of it. I personally will say that I have a huge love for hounds, for one, as you know. (laughs) My (laughs) normal puppy was a hound. Um, I have a huge love for hounds and genetically speaking, hounds can have some, you know, predispositions to certain things that don't maybe fit into a lot of people's lifestyles, like very loud. They tend to howl and bay and those types of things. Now, that's not to say every individual hound does that, but that is one thing in their genetics that you're not likely to get away from, if that makes Mm. sense. So for me, a hound might not be the best animal for a first time pet parent because, you know, maybe you live in an apartment in the city and your neighbors are going to be mad and you're going to have to do all this extra stuff and you're going to resort to, you know, maybe not the best choices to try to stop that dog from doing this natural and normal behavior that is for them. So like, it really does come down to the individual people, the individual animal, the individual circumstance. And then on top of it, like, the world 100% loves to use blanket statements. Like I'm not to get political here, but the first one that comes to my mind when I hear that like blanket statements thing is the whole, like, not all men, everybody loves blanket (laughs) statements. Um, it doesn't, it like, anytime I hear a blanket statement, I always go, I need to look more into that before I, I, you know, decide on anything in this situation. So yeah, so, so, so different for me. And like, for example, One of the things that like my cousin, as you know, Renee, like a family member of mine was a CKC registered breeder here in Canada for years, bred tons of like, well, not tons, but bred a lot of different breeds over time. And it was because they wanted to breed 
ethically and make it so that they weren't just consistently breeding the same dogs over and over and over again. So they would, you know, choose a specific breed that they really enjoyed and they knew a lot about and they wanted to better the breed. And it wasn't about money. It was about, you know, the love for that animal and those types of things. And they would breed that like those, that specific breed for a period. And then they would retire those dogs and it would be a different breed that they would bring in and kind of do the same thing with. And that way those pets became pets. They weren't just breeder dogs. They weren't just, you know, all of those things. And one of the breeds that they bred for a really long time was Rottweilers. <laughs> Rottweilers are one of my favorites. Well, were they breeding for aggression? Oh my goodness. Ugh, I hate, I always, I've always hated that because Rottweilers in my opinion, are one of the softest breeds out there. Like they are so sensitive and they can be such amazing, like they're giant cuddle bugs and they typically love everybody. And they're just like, they're an amazing dog. And again, that's a blanket statement, but I feel that way about all breeds and all dogs. So it's just that I have personal experience with specifically Rottweilers and a lot of them. Um, that I like, I, I'm like, you know what? 90% of the Rotties I've ever worked with are amazing dogs that have no issues, whether genetically or otherwise, they are so friendly. They are so whatever, but that's not to say that they can't be other things. Right. And that's not to say that they should or shouldn't be a person's first dog because my cousin, for example, um, her first puppy was a Rottie. And Mika, unfortunately, just passed away a few months ago. And I spent a lot of my life with Mika and my dog spent a lot of his life with her to the point where I would walk down the street with my dog in like Toronto. And when he would see a Rottweiler, he would go bananas until he started to actually use his other senses and realize (laughs) it wasn't Mika. And then he would be like, oh, okay, it's not my bestie. I'm over this, you know, but he would, he would get so excited when he would see a Roddy or a similar stature and, you know, coloring and that sort of thing. So like, I have a lot of really great personal experience with Rottweilers and, you know, as a first time pet, that dog was amazing for my cousin because she was everything that they needed and they did a lot of things amazingly well. And, you know, so it really comes down to all these other factors. Like it's not just the breed breed groups. Yep. A hundred percent. Sometimes they're a breed. Like if you live in downtown Toronto in an apartment and you work 60 plus hours a week and you don't have the option to, you know, get your border collie or Aussie or other herding breed, both mentally and physically enriched, you're likely to have problems with that dog, whether you're a first time pet parent or you've had 50, right? So there's so many factors that go into it. And I just don't think that, like you said, that blanket statement, it's not fair. And Mm -hmm. another one, it just like, you're right. And I get so hung up when some trainers or other behavior consultants or whatever have these really strong opinions and the way they say them makes it sound like they're saying them for every other dog trainer or every other. And like, I, I am totally guilty of that. I have very strong opinions. I throw them (laughs) out in the world and I hope for the best. Um, but a lot of like my opinions are backed in ethical evidence-based information. Like I don't just formulate opinions based in nothing and run with it and tell the whole world that that's what I'm looking at because I've had experience with five dogs of this breed. Like 
I worked with Malinois for a really long time because one of the facilities that I worked at who did a lot of like dog sports and stuff like that, um, they had five Mal's as like pets um, that they had like some of them were co-owned with a breeder in the area and they did a lot of like agility and dock diving and, you know, fly ball and all of that fun stuff. And like, I got the opportunity to work with a lot of Malinois over the years. Um, in fact, whelping a couple litters in forms of that as well. And genetics matter a lot. Yes. But other things matter too. And a lot of those dogs that would come through, like people will often say like, oh, Malinois are super aggressive. They're super, you know, like I think in that video that we're kind of, you know, talking about in this conversation they said that they're they have a pinch of crazy or something like that um was similar to what the person said and I think it was yeah comparing to say like a German shepherd but then having like a pinch of of crazy with the German shepherd which having a high drive working German shepherd I don't know (laughs) sometimes we I mean Scott and I sometimes were like do you think he has some Mally in him? Because he's just, he has this look sometimes. And like, Scott's like, he, are you sure? And I'm like, well, this is what he was, like he's bred for police work and guarding yeah. and things yeah. like that. I mean, he could have a touch of, you know, this is what they're looking for in the street. So we're yeah. just never sure. But I'm like, there's one in there. Like, yeah. <laughs> but that's so I get the, the pinch of crazy, but still. Yeah, but like, it's so not cool to make that blanket because to give you the complete and honest truth one of the um that i worked with for a really long time her name was envy and that dog would not work for anything she was like (laughs) like yeah a little bit crazy like if you let her out into the yard she'd run the fence just having a grand old time barking her head off at nothing like you know just doing her thing but you asked for anything, she'd be like, nah, I'm good. You know, like she would not do fly ball. She would not do duck dive. She just didn't enjoy it. And she didn't have the drive for it. But the puppies that she had, oh, you best believe they did. So it comes down to all of these different aspects, right? And to put in that blanket statement, like one of her puppies, it's so funny because the names of these dogs are hilarious. It was the kind of the naming convention of that person. But um, (laughs) one of her puppies that ended up sticking around with a girlfriend of mine, she ended up kind of adopting her. Uh, Her name was Swagger. She was absolutely insane. When I say insane, I mean insane. I do not think that dog was wired right. But it had nothing to do with her breed. It had to do with her raising and her environment and her all of these other things from a very young puppy, she was like, she had an owner, the owner unfortunately had like some serious health issues. So she was returned. And then we all just fell in love with her. But she was so sensitive. And just like, she did not respond well to like, even, you know, making a loud noise, Mm. she would startle and become fearful and sometimes redirect or whatever. And there was a lot of work to be done with her and a lot of things. And it was because a lot of the time her environment had a huge impact on that, right? Being returned because of her, you know, pet guardian having all these health issues and not being able to care for her. She didn't find another home right away. She basically got like passed between some of the staff members. We really loved her. We would take her home with us. Like, so different environments constantly, a lot of stress, a lot of whatever, but it was better than being in the kennel with all the, you know, so it was like, 
a really difficult way to bring up a dog that already has a genetic predisposition to want to go, 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 go. Right. So it just like using examples like that kind of brings my brain back to reality because I have worked with so many like high drive dogs and working line dogs and those types of things. But like I have a huge love for hounds and for bully breeds. So like mastiffs and like my favorite dog on the face of the planet is a cane corso. My first dog outside of a family dog was a cane corso. Um, and he was amazing, but from a very young age, displayed some resource guarding. And unfortunately for like some weird reasons, um, I ended up having to rehome him when he was uh, two or three years old. And he ended up with some serious issues after leaving me because they just didn't have what he needed, even though they were extremely experienced pet guardians that had had multiple Mastiff breeds before him. So he as an individual did not do well in that setting. Like there's so many reasons and the blanket statements just drive me nuts. And the fact that this person as a trainer, you can't see the air quotes I'm making, but I know that you mentioned that they're not. I heard it in your voice, trainer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But as like, as a trainer is coming out and saying you as a new person looking to get a pet should not have these pets. Like, it's just like, man, come on. Because the second you take, for example, German Shepherd was in there. Belgian Malinois was in there. Rottweiler was in there. Uh, Pity was in there. A, Pitbulls are not a breed. Let's mm-hmm. just like be completely, they're not. Stop it, people. They are not a breed. They are a mutt, <laughs> just like a doodle. Gonna say it. <laughs> like, I don't... <laughs> think it makes sense because you're actually taking several breeds from the same breed group. So what you're saying is some of the behaviors that these dogs display or have, or the genetic predispositions they have, or in this person's experience and opinion, they're likely to have, which to say that a specific breed displays a lot of aggression drives me because again, there's so many things that come down to it. And honestly, truth be told, one of the most aggressive dogs Um, or dog breeds that I have ever worked with. And I can say I have seen hundreds of bites personally being around and seeing them happen, not because they were my client or anything like that, because heck no, I don't put people in those situations, but because I just happen to be there because they're a breed that's around a lot and, you know, whatever, is a golden retriever. Mm. So like, because I have seen so many resource guarding issues with golden retrievers and people don't listen because they just oh this dog is supposed to be the friendliest family dog and wonderful and blah 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 blah, and they get pushed to the point where they respond and not always appropriately uh, well technically appropriately but not that people see it that way and they end up with serious bites like in a daycare setting I watched a golden retriever get a hold of someone's mitten and when the other dogs wanted to play chase and try to take the mitten the dog tried to hide in a corner and started to guard that mitten and they, you know, the handlers tried to get the dog away or the other dogs away as fast as they could. But the one handler that was in the situation that, you know, running the daycare basically, and to be fair, not a great daycare situation. This is not a dog that should be in a daycare, but mm. 
stuff happens. This is the world we live in, right? Um, the person who knew the dog very well and thought they had a great bond with the dog and was like, oh, it'll be fine, tried to reach in to grab the mitten, even though the dog was guarding it. And because the dog was already so stressed out by all of the other dogs trying to get this mitten and everything else, the dog put about 32 punctures up this person's arm through oh, a jacket. So it happens, you know, and like, it is not a good situation and it's not a situation I ever want to see anyone be put in. And it's the reason that I advocate for better situations, like less daycares, more appropriately run daycares and like a bunch of stuff like that, which by the way, I'm 90% sure we will be doing an episode on daycares, <laughs> the do's and don'ts and all of It's the, on the list. It is on the list. <laughs> yeah. The good, the bad, the ugly, right? Like, again, I don't, I just do not think that, and like, welcome to my TED talk for the day, but I just don't <laughs> think it's fair to put animals in this box. You're taking this breed and you're putting it in this box and you're saying nobody's good enough for this breed, even though like there's so many. And we consider things too, like, where are these dogs being bred? Are they being bred by ethical, well-meaning, great breeders who want to better the breed and aren't doing it for money and aren't doing it for clout and aren't doing it for whatever. Because let me tell you how in my area, people who breed quote unquote pit bulls, they are not ethical typically because it's not really a breed, but they're not ethical breeders. They're not breeders that are doing health testing. They're not breeders that are, you know, looking for appropriate temperament over time and those types of things. And again, the discussion on temperament is a completely different thing, which not <laughs> this episode, but they're not looking at all of the things. They're these people who just love their dog know they like know they can make money by breeding this dog because people want this dog because this dog is again there's breed legislation surrounding the dog they are a quote-unquote banned breed people want what they can't have so all of these quote-unquote pit bull breeders pop up everywhere and these people are breeding these dogs without genetics in mind without their behavior in mind without you know all of those things in mind and then you wind up with dogs that have issues and those types of things. But if you were to go to, you know, a breeder that's ethical and that is breeding, you know, a crossbreed for whatever reason, not that that's necessarily ethical, but they're breeding for other reasons. And they're looking at all of this information that's very different than if you're going to a quote unquote, like backyard breeder, or you're going yeah. to whatever. So when you're formulating these opinions of this breed or this, you know, this person formulated these opinions of these breeds, where were those dogs coming from? Right. Were those like, um, I know here it's really popular. Were they like Kijiji dogs? Did those people just find the dog? No, they wanted a dog, decided they wanted a cheap dog, went on an internet website and went, Oh, there's a dude a couple towns over selling this dog for 500 bucks at eight weeks old with its shots. Let's do it without looking at anything else. Right. So there's so much more that goes into it. And I just think it's so, 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 so inappropriate <laughs> to <laughs> put out a video like that. And I don't know, like if somebody were to ask me their opinion, like, hey, I'm planning to get a dog, which these are my favorite clients, by the way, but like, hey, I'm planning to get a dog. I really like the looks and the like, you know, the personality of these types of dogs because I've known them throughout my life and whatever. Can you help me, 
you know, find an appropriate one for me or yada, yada, yada. There's so many things that I'm going to look at. I'm going to look at like, why do you want a dog? What do you plan to do with your dog? Where do you live? What does your circumstance look like? How many years do you think you're going to be like, how stable are you right now? Are you waiting? Are you home all the time? Are you constantly go, go like, there's so many things that go into it that it's just not appropriate for me to go. Nah, that's not a dog that a first time guardian should have. So don't get that one. Let's get you yeah. a gold retriever instead or a Labrador instead or whatever, which by the way, typically when people ask me if a lab is a great pet for families, I say no. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you know what rebel I mean? you. Right? So <laughs> it's it's like there's so many things that go into it and I just like yeah. Welcome to my rant. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a dog that has big feelings about the world around them? Maybe your dog barks at strangers. Maybe they pull your arm off to get to other dogs. If so, we have the perfect course for you, Resolving Reactivity. During our eight-week expert-led course, you will learn all of the components to help your dog go from barky and lungy to calm and confident. Resolving Reactivity gives both you and your dog a chance at enjoying life better together. Help your dog go from fearful to fearless by visiting our website, rplusdogs.com and looking for Resolving Reactivity. It's hard though, because this is what I said like in the beginning, you know, it's a very loaded question in the, in the situation of like, how long is a piece of string? Like, you know, when it comes to breeds and people's opinions of breed, I mean, there's things that I hear and there's stuff said like, you know, oh, well, it's because they're a shepherd. Oh, it's because they're a lab. And it's like, yeah, I think of it as generally more like breed for me is is more of a um, generalization of what this dog might be like. There's there's predictability of, you know, high predictability that there are going to be certain traits but it's not an absolute, like it's not a cookie cutter, you know, it's not yeah. like the lab machine where they're just pumping out labs and they're all the same. Uh-huh. So those are things that you are most likely going to see with a breed, but don't be surprised if you don't see that. I mean, like, like Lycan isn't a herder. So he isn't, um, you know, kind of he does guard things, but he's a very soft guarder. And by that, I mean, he, I could see how he could potentially have the ability to have bad resource guarding. And by bad, I just mean um, kind of inflamed resource guarding, yeah. Yeah. but he's managed really well. However, he is very suspicious. He's very watchful. Um, he's also very... Um, thoughtful when it comes to things. So like he wants to understand, but there are also some characteristics that I would say that he doesn't necessarily have of typical kind of shepherds. And the the interesting part is like with Nero, who is a mix of a border collie and a whippet, sometimes you can see very distinct kind of characteristics of each of those breeds but I wouldn't say that he is one more of the other, but I also wouldn't say that he's the typical of either of those breeds either. 
So for him, it's, I think it's even more interesting to see his kind of personality and where he is, because most people don't even know that he's cross border collie unless you have like a ball and then he instantly <laughs> becomes a border collie and he's like, Amazing. <laughs> he has, I mean, he had osteopath yesterday and we were just using the ball because that's what he had when um, she came in. And um, he struggles a little bit because he's very sensitive of the machine that she uses. And so we were using the ball as a reward. Amazing. And uh, we were talking about the fact that he's a mix of a, a whippet and border collie. And just as she was saying like, oh, border collie, she had the ball and he went into that kind of like, you know, the border collie stock. Yep. And she was like, oh, and I was like, there's the border collie. Yeah. <laughs> there's the border collie. Um, and here it is. Yeah. <laughs> if not on cue. So yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. And I think people as humans, we like to have notable predictabilities and things, you know? So like, if we, if we get a border collie, we want a border collie. And we're expecting yeah. those things. But then we're also like, oh, why are you being such a border collie? You know, so like, <laughs> can you just relax or, you know, do something? And so it's like, yeah, it's it's a good, I think, barometer for what you're going to get. But don't be surprised if that's not what you're going to get. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, border collies that won't hurt. They just don't want to do it. And that's, you know, there's no yeah. flaw in that. It's just, that's not, you know, it's not my personality. I don't want to yeah. do it. Yeah. Like you were talking I, about with the Mally. Like, I don't yeah. want a Mally, you know? I, wanna do, <laughs> I don't want to do that thing. Yeah. I don't want to, mm. I don't want to do that. That's not what I want to do. And so yeah. that is typical. And I think people are far more surprised by it. But yeah, I mean, that, that post or that article, sorry, talking about the different types of breed types, I'll post a link of it in the podcast notes, but it is from my perspective, I wanted to give more of generalizations and I really wanted to support my generalizations with evidence. So like, for instance, one of the breed groups that I said that maybe wouldn't be, I wouldn't maybe advise for first time guardians would be brachycephalic breeds or your flat nose breeds. And my reasoning for that was the fact that they have generally very serious health conditions. And we know that health conditions, specifically with those types of breeds who, let's face it, have had their physical body smushed into, you know, what is a smaller dog, Essentially, if you put, you know, like they grow those square um, watermelons and all they do is they put the the watermelon kind of seedling into a mold of a square. And that's yeah. essentially what you're doing. You're taking like a regular size dog and growing it in the size of a pug. And that causes a lot of issues within the body. We still have the same amount of structure and tissues being crammed into that, that smaller space. And that can lead to some pain. It can lead to medical conditions. And we know largely based on evidence that pain goes undiagnosed, um, unless it's very overt pain. And so that was my reasoning. You know, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of illness that conditions that could happen with these breeds. Mm -hmm. They can be very expensive, but also the fact that not a lot of people, even if you were 
clued up on, um, you know, I got all the basics for my dog and I got the extras for my dog, but are you going to be able to notice when your dog is in pain? Most people would say yes, but I would hazard that, you know, most people aren't really yeah. aware unless it's overt pain, like the dog yeah. is limping that a dog would be in pain. Yeah. And I don't but think even, most people know the signs of. No. Of and, and so that becomes a challenge, right? So if you have a brachycephalic dog and they're, um, they start biting or they start growling or they start having a, a medical condition, that could be a heavy burden on you as a new dog guardian. Yeah. Um, and that was my reasoning for that, which I think is very substantial in helping people to understand. So like Frenchies are huge, wildly popular, wildly yes. popular. Um, and I love Frenchies. Let me just say, like, absolutely love them. I had a chance to have a, a, a Frenchie um, and I turned it down a number of years ago um, for other reasons. I just couldn't have a dog in my apartment, but I wanted this dog. Um, so I love them, but I'm also really concerned about just how many Frenchies are out there and how much everyone loves Frenchies for the mm -hmm. way that they look. Um, yeah. So, I mean, those are my classifications of things. So as you were saying before, like when we make recommendations, when we have ideas or thought processes about things, um, I know with mine, my unpopular opinions, they're unpopular, but for me, they come with evidence so maybe not specifically evidence in like that specific thing, but a generalized understanding and a generalized um, ability to kind of collate information and then experience yeah. and education. So I know for you, like when you're saying those things, you know, this is why I've come to a soft conclusion about something. It's, yeah. We haven't just picked it out of the sky and gone, well, this is my opinion. Yeah. The, there's been a lot that's gone into making, you know, that opinion. And my opinions are never like steadfast. I'm not saying like, you know, this is the hard and fast rule of whatever, like crates. We'll use crates, for instance. Mm. Do I use crates with clients? Yes. Do I have big feelings about crates? Yes. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I never use them. And it doesn't yeah. mean that they're awful. It just means that for me, they come with a, a caution and, yeah. you know, they need to be thought about thoughtfully. Um, but stuff like that, uh, you know, I completely understand when you were saying, you know, that your information comes from a certain place. I get it because I feel exactly the same. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, like, here's a really good example. I am a certified dog behavior consultant. I am a certified professional dog trainer. I have multiple other certifications. In fact, my workplace has just asked me to tack on another one. Um, and I myself have learned recently that although I, I love the outdoors, I love hiking, I love, you know, all of those things. I suffered an injury a couple of years back to my back and I've become an insanely lazy dog guardian. I barely walk my dogs. Like obviously right now I don't have my own dog, but I have a lot of client dogs that are here and things like that. Um, and I've realized that I've always, always, always wanted a duchy. I've always wanted a duchy. I love their personalities. I've had many of them that I've worked with over the years and I've kind of looked at it and gone, I'm not in a place right now 
to get a duchy. I know I want to be lazy. I know I don't want to, you know, give that dog the both mental and physical enrichment it needs. Maybe for now, I just get a breed that's a little bit easier um, in terms of like energy levels and things like that. <laughs> so like perfect example is that right there is also just recognizing when it's not right for you instead yeah. of, you know what I mean? Because like we said before, if you tell me I can't do it, oh, I'm you best believe I'm going to show you I can. But at this point in my life, at this stage where I'm at, I'm like, nah, I'm awake. <laughs> I'm a hold off. I'm a, it's always a dog I've always wanted. It's definitely a dog I'm going to have by like the end of times. But like, again, one of my favorite dog breeds on the face of the planet is an Irish wolfhound. Always wanted an Irish wolfhound. Will 100% have an Irish wolfhound at some point or another, hopefully rescued. But they are a challenge in a lot of different ways because they're a giant breed. They also have sight hound qualities. Typically they also have like, there aren't a lot of breeders that are ethical that are breeding them. There's a lot of like challenging things that go into it. So it's not a matter of just like get the first, you you know, one you see or you want, like, I'm sorry, the house I live in right now mm, would not be appropriate for a dog like that. So, you know what I mean? Like being able to take a step back and look at our own reality. And obviously for the average pet guardian, look at your reality with the help of a qualified, certified professional. <laughs> Don't just listen to this podcast and go, I have all the answers. Um, like, but truth be told, like I will probably work with a certified professional when I go to get another one of my own dog, because I often find that as a professional in this industry, sometimes I get too close to situations, right? I've had yeah. situations where, um, you know, I had a certain dog in my life or whatever. And I was like, these are issues that I'm just like, this is how I would deal with it with any other person. What am I not seeing here? What am I missing here? Or am I maybe not missing it? I'm just going, nah, my dog's perfect. It's not my dog. That's the problem. Even though in my brain, I know that it is or whatever the case. So taking that step back and knowing when to remove yourself from the equation and find someone who can help you. That's another really big thing for me, especially as a first time pet parent, like get help, always get help. Even if you decided to get a dog um, of whatever breed, doesn't matter. But even if you decided to get a dog and you're ready, you're like, I'm gung ho, we're doing this. And then six months in you hit, you know, that puppy stage and start to roll into adolescence. And you're like, I don't know what to do. It's never too late to find someone to help you. So hopefully I think that gives our listeners <laughs> a whole bunch of information on breeds. And, you know, it's such a, it's such a difficult topic because there is so much variation. Um, and I think, you know, what we were saying previously, kind of as a recap, that you shouldn't be put off by these situations, especially when it comes to social media. I mean, pretty much taking anything that comes from social media with a grain of salt unless it's from R plus dogs and then you should definitely listen to it. Um, <laughs> but you look at your sources and it's hard. I get that it's hard um, because social media is so rabid with information. But, you know, the moment that I looked at this person who presented the, the video um, and these ideas of, you know, what breeds are not appropriate – I could see that they, you know, and it's not, a. I don't want it to feel like a dig to say like, you know, this person isn't qualified, but 
then that gives me a good barometer to, am I going to be able to trust what this person is saying? Are they just coming from their own experiences or do they have some validity um, in other ways to be able to give me this information? And so that's what I, I hope that people do, you know, when they look at my content is to say, you know, this person is really highly qualified. This person, you know, has worked with dogs for a long time. There's a multifaceted approach to giving this advice, but also, um, you know, when I do have opinions about things, they are coming from a place of education and experience as well as evidence and and study. Um, And I think that's where, you know, we need to be very aware of. Um, But I think, yes, it it becomes a very dangerous situation with making these blanket statements, as we talked about with the um, breed legislation, just as it is to put people off about what dog they might pick for their, you know, the first dog to join their family. so, I mean, what do you think, Cassie, as far as kind of anything you want to add to kind of the wrap up of this? Not really, no. I think we've kind of covered everything. What I will say is apologies delayed for ranting. <laughs> um, it was I a good like rant. It was a good it, rant. They were good rants. Yeah. But I feel like I get so, and don't get me wrong, I think passion is a huge part of why we as dog professionals do what we do. Um, but I often let passion cloud the way I come across in certain things. So, um, I want people to know I'm not angry. (laughs) I'm happy. And I'm glad that people are listening to this and I'm glad that people trust, um, our, opinions and our, you know, our knowledge base and the fact that we, we really do look into evidence and we read the research and we, you know, we do our due diligence and we would not put out something that isn't backed by that. And even then that I will say like me as a professional, if I say something um, that raises eyebrows or has questions or whatever, I really love when people come back and ask more questions about it. If it's like, Oh, well you said this and you know, maybe the way I said it was off so people didn't understand what I was trying to get across or you know things like that or even if I say something and in two to three years that's no longer relevant because the science has changed and the evidence is different now and those types of things I 100% am that person who's going to go back and recognize that that has happened and change it right so for example like we redid the um your original podcast episode on tools we redid Mm. it because opinions grow and although a lot of them are very similar or the same it's still relevant and it's still important to make sure that we're up to date with all of those things so know that if we are putting out that information or renee specifically you on the social media channel for our plus dogs and things like that when you're putting out that information like you said before it is backed it's not just like, yeah, sometimes, okay, we're going to put out funny, haha opinion pieces. Yes. But if we're saying something about a specific breed or a specific group or a specific whatever, it's not going to be a blanket statement. There's going to be information behind it. And I just think it's really important to recognize that. Um, 
and make sure that everyone's kind of, you know, if we have said anything, like ask us questions. If you want to like hit us up, let us know you want more of this information on our social channel and, you know, things like that and kind of, yeah. Be a part of the conversation. Yeah. It, it, this is the thing is like, you know, to open a conversation, that's all I ever want to do when I do things like unpopular opinions or, you know, the let's talk about posts is to bring information forward, but also to have a conversation and it's hard to change your opinion. Right. So like that cognitive bias, your brain is like, eh, eh. I, I know this, this is true. I don't want you to change your mind. Um, and all I'm saying is, you know, be open to be open to the understanding that, you know, you may not have the right information in the first place. And I don't ever, ever hold that against anyone because of, you know, we work in this industry, so we see what's out there. We know how challenging it can be for dog guardians to have information that is ethical, let alone have information that is in any sort of evidence base, because there's so much information out there that is just totally misguided. So yeah, come ask a question. You know, there will always be, at least for me, I don't want to speak for Cassie, but I think I am already, but at least for me, um, There will be a thought process behind that. Yeah. And I'm not above questioning myself. I mean, as my really good friend, <laughs> Marlena, Dr. Marlena Ryba from the episode with Harold, the superhero, you know, she said something to me the other day, which I was like, this is, you know, yes, like this is what I'm talking about. And that was, you know, I, I ask her a lot of questions because I don't ever want to assume that what I know about dogs is the same when it comes to the psychology of people. And she does the same, even though she is, you know, an amazing professional in her field, she will still say, you know, is this right for dogs? And I'm like, yeah, you know, so like, us together having a conversation is is more along the lines of just confirming for each other these questions that we have. And she said, you know, I was like, you know, I, I should know this. And she was like, no, because, you know, the, the best professionals question. Yeah. They ask, am I right in assuming this? Am I right in, you know, what I'm presenting? And she said, the fact that you do that just says to me that you are a great professional and that you should be trusted even more. So, you know, when we have these ideas and we present these ideas, it's good to have have an open conversation about it because there will always be a thought process behind it. And I'm happy to share my thought process behind it. You may not agree with me and that's okay. That's cool. Um, But you know, you might also go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And there's a reason why Cassie and I (laughs) are often saying, you know, like, I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you is because I think we both come from a very similar approach, which is again, like Cassie saying, you know, a very evidence-based one. And that, that is, you know, we come to the kind of same conclusions about things because of that, because of that area that we're coming from. And, you know, I'm waiting for the time when we disagree, Cassie. I really we have to find something that we disagree on. <laughs> oh, my God. I've been searching. Don't you worry. 
I've been working. We but, should just do an episode where I, we just name topics. And, then we, <laughs> and we just, just agree, agree disagree, disagree, like rapid yeah. fire. Oh my goodness, we absolutely should. Um, I, I will say like the one last thing I want to say before we like wrap up is that I think we are both people and I, I love to use this like wording in this phrase because it makes people think a little more. And for people not dogs, but for people, (laughs) I like to say that growth in like our, whether it's growth of self, growth of relationships, growth of, you know, learning and understanding growth happens in uncomfortable places. I need to be challenged to grow. And I do think like in a way that is the truth with dogs as well. Like I need to up the ante for my dog, for my dog to start to get things more in depth. Like if I'm teaching a specific cue, I'm not just going to leave it at the level that they're constantly getting it. I'm going to up the ante a little bit. And that difficult space where they have to make a choice and they have to learn from that and grow from that. Sometimes it is a difficult space to be in. So although not an uncomfortable one, or you know what I mean? Like I'm not recommending putting your dog in bad situations. That's not what I'm saying, but growth happens in difficult spaces and in uncomfortable areas for people because we need to challenge each other and we need to ask those questions and we need to be comfortable in discomfort in order to find that growth for ourselves. At least I have found that that is the case for me. And I like to constantly be a person who's trying to improve myself and my understanding and my learning and all of those things. So 100% ask those questions and come to us and do that stuff because I love having those conversations and I love to know and recognize and understand that I'm growing in one way or another. Absolutely. Could not agree more with that (laughs) statement because I feel the exact same way. I feel like, you know, if you're stagnant and you could be stagnant sometimes, it's not to say that we have to have, you know, constant growth all of the time. Yeah. That'd be so stressful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That was pretty much like the first couple of years of my business. I was like, ah, Um, but (laughs) But it's also to say like, we're not infallible. And so when we feel like we are, we get breed specific legislation (laughs) because we think (laughs) we know it all. And we're going, yes, this dog is bad. This dog is not bad. And so the fact to question and the fact to take on just like all of the information that Cash C mentioned in the beginning with recommendations from, you know, very great organization saying that breed specific legislation is not something that should be used. You know, if we're that person going, uh, uh-uh, I don't think so. You know, we we're going to do it anyway. You, you miss out. You were, we're damaging the relationship that humans have with dogs and we're really doing dogs a disservice. So yeah, it is good to have that ability within yourself to to question things and, and the flexibility to change. I mean, I've always said if tomorrow, you know, science came out and said, science, the person um, <laughs> came out and said, listen, guys, we got it all wrong. And actually, e-collars and prong collars are the most ethical way to train dogs they don't care. It's evidence-based. It's welfare-based. You know, I'm going to do it. I don't yep. think that's going to happen, but <laughs> I would, <laughs> I'm resting my laurels on the fact that it's not going to happen, but I would change, I would change my tactic. I would go, wow. Okay. So the evidence is saying this, I'm very open to changing my mind about that. Yep. Um, and I think that's what you need to be 
within any sort of, you know, dare I say it, kind of uh, a therapy or mental health um, sector. And that is essentially what we do for, for dogs by proxy. Yes. Yep. You have to be open to that because, you know, Otherwise, if you're staying stagnant and you're staying steadfast in your beliefs and your opinions on things, um, like I said, breed legislation happens. We get very, you know, poor decision-making skills and um, we're not doing anybody any, any justice and service. And I think especially working in the industry that we are, we owe it to not only um our clients who are the dogs, but our clients who are the human element to be able to kind of bend and adjust and have that information, you know, within us. Um, otherwise, you know, I would say that you shouldn't even be doing, you shouldn't even be in this industry if you're not, if you're not doing that. That's my, whew, that's a bold statement to make, but yeah, I, I think. What a blanket statement, Renee. <laughs> oh my God. Um, <laughs> And that so concludes my uh, career. And so, <laughs> but I do, I, I mean, the, I, like I said, with Cassie, I feel very passionate about it as well. And I, yeah. I do feel like that is a critical element of, of being a behavior consultant in, and even to a degree being a dog trainer is that you need to be open to changing your stance and you need to be open to being able to have the information, access the information, um, and change tact if you need to, you know, things I was doing as a professional, even I would say not a year ago, but maybe, you know, three years ago, I, I'm not doing those anymore. And yep. that's for the better. Absolutely. So, yeah, I would say we have, <laughs> and so concludes our Ted talks um, <laughs> this <is> this. <laughs> and our absolute inability to keep these podcasts short. <laughs> but I think this was, you know, this is an exception. We are trying to keep the podcast shorter because I think people do appreciate them and maybe we'll, you know, yeah. we will. Yeah. This is a little, a little different with this one, but I think that we've covered it pretty well and hopefully it gives a lot of things to kind of chew on. Um, and definitely come back to us. Like we said, you know, let us know what your thoughts are on breed legislation. Let us know what your thoughts are about first-time dog guardians. And is it breed specific for you? Or is it, you know, what do you use to kind of measure what is the right dog for you? And if you aren't a first-time dog guardian, you know, how did you make those decisions when you were a first-time dog guardian? Um Love to hear, you know, your kind of journeys and opinions on that and what your experiences were, because, you know, as we said from the very beginning, this podcast is for you. And that would be, you know, fantastic to hear what what actually. And also, I think your um, maybe even your regrets, because we all have them. Right. Yes. So. Yeah. Learning through other people's experiences, that would be even better to, if you are open to it, to sharing some of those regrets that you have. But definitely hit us up on the socials. They will be in the podcast notes. Um, and we thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us on the Dog Logical Podcast. 
And if you appreciate the free content that we put out like this podcast, leave us a review. After all, positive professionals love positive reinforcement. And if you're looking for an ethical, evidence-based dog professional to work with, we're virtual. Check out rplusdogs.com to see what services we offer. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.